Welcome everyone to the latest episode of the Blast from Cast From. Party on, Dave. Oh, party! Oh, I'm supposed to come in. Oh God, that was I, I, that was a gamble because I never told you about that ahead of time, um, and it was going to be a gamble to to do that. And oh my God, you you messed it up royally. Well, I just don't know what the um. It felt more like a Joe Rogan and Mike Goldberg uh, cheers into the microphones rather than a really cool pair of guys. I I want my street cred to remain as slick as it is. I want to be like oil, grease, lightning going out there, but. If I was to reciprocate, in fact, it was actually, it was planned. I didn't want it to really look weak, so I think I've come off the bigger man. Okay, well, let's skip past that, and we'll say party on, listener. In this episode, light blue stonewashed jeans and heavy metal t-shirts. Uh, are they coming back, and should they come back? No. <laughs> oh, okay. I, I get really nervous thinking I've got to answer every question. Are you talking... To the listeners or me. That's for you to figure out whether it's rhetorical action or whether you can step oh. in. That just makes it a whole nervous sort of process, doesn't it? But if you were to choose a heavy metal band for your t-shirt, which one would you choose? Um, I've always quite liked the, the weird skeleton thing from Iron Maiden. Is that Eddie the Skeleton? What's his name again? Yeah, Eddie. I think it's just Eddie. I don't know if he has a surname. Eddie Skeleton? I'm probably more of a Megadeth man myself i would say i would go for that um that, uh, we th- those are the same <laughs> this looking thing it's some sort of weird zombie yeah, they've got very things. similar uh little mascot guys haven't they i don't know what the megadeth one's called mega man that's a different person altogether isn't it it's mega charlie mega charlie <laughs> and that's, that's uh, speaks more to uh dave mustaine's habits anyway that's of course not what we're going to talk about that would be absurd on a music podcast that barely clings to its own premise. What we are going to talk about is something that has just been referenced so many times by yourself uh, that we thought it was worthy of discussion, mm. oh. you might say. Hmm? Wow. That hopefully impressed everyone else as much as it did me. Uh, well, we're scum. Um, we suck. <laughs> um, but uh, hopefully one day we get to go to Milwaukee and, uh, and experience the, the good land. Uh, <laughs> this will happen throughout this podcast <laughs> constant references to things that don't need them so I mean certainly in our world two of the most quotable films out there from the early 90s Wayne's World 1 and 2 we're going to talk about both films if you can believe it that is three hours of action is it I believe let me type it is per- here that, and that, find that's out. another reason it's perfect but anyway yeah so three hours and about six minutes I think which is hour and a half Perfect comedies. I mean, we might have actually wanted a, a Wayne's World 3. Not now. Absolutely not now. Uh, don't even think that about it. That Super Bowl advert made sure of that. That reminded us the, the ravages of age and how things should just be left unsaid. Do you know what I noticed? And it's a back to the jeans obsession, but in that little Super Bowl advert, they've got kind of... They've got very blue jeans in the original films and in this one they've got they've not bothered i mean you know, they still make those kind of jeans they've just not bothered the wayne's wearing sort of an off uh, gray one and i don't know what, what's happening with garth but yeah that's those kind of details is what is important when you're redoing these things and also no, not mm. being not being uh not having huge fat sorry. face <laughs> and upset in head although da- i'll say that dana carvey has aged magnificently he looks fantastic um the, the, the thing they got to replace Mike Myers, because he must have been busy or something, because party on Wayne, Garth, Super Bowl, and uh, Mike Myers sends us apologies. Hopefully that's what happened, <laughs> and it's not that that's what he looks like now. 
Well, we're going to rewind to late 80s, early 90s. There was, there was, quite, there was quite a few of these uh, films and, and TV characters. The Generation Xers, the MTV generation, kind of slackers uh, that were into heavy metal. Uh, Baby Boomers found that hilarious. And uh, you had the film Slacker, of course, uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, um, Beavis and Butthead, uh, Wayne's World. These are these kind of teenagers who are into heavy metal and are kind of not got a huge amount of drive for that materialism from the 80s. And uh, they all have got a collection of hairnets and name tags. Mike Myers and Dana Carvey were baby boomers. They, I don't know if that, that, that's actually a question that I have. What is the age range that they are actually attempting to play here? I, I was going to ask you the same thing because he's, he's sort of giving the impression that in the first one that he's a kind of, I guess, college age. Not really had a real job yet. He's still living with his parents, looking to rock out and get there in the world, you know, get himself a lady, get himself to be more serious. But at the start of the second film, I'm going to jump about a little too much here, but that's okay. At the start of the second film, there's, there's a lot of talk about getting pubic hair and hair in weird places. So are we to assume they're they're just becoming adolescents? Because that <laughs> throws it in a whole new shade of unusual. Well, I mean, Mike Myers, I think at the time, was in his late 20s. Uh, Dana Carvey was in his late 30s and visibly oh, yeah. so. <laughs> I mean, he certainly wasn't uh, 17. He was not getting carded for anything, I don't think. Hmm. Yes, Dana Carvey did not look... Young, but he almost looked ageless. I think that's what, that's what it's about. But Mike Myers is very much, um, you can tell how old he is, if that makes sense. This was a, of course, a Saturday Night Live sketch that became a movie. Uh, the first one since Blues Brothers, which I hadn't appreciated until I did all my research oh. on this. Um, but opened the floodgates for <laughs> nine more movies after this one. Uh, such was its success with uh, mixed varying degrees of quality you might say the last one was mcgruber i believe oh actually i'll be honest um because i was going to say this uh, very rare are these ever good and wayne's world actually managed to pull it off but i'll say one thing mcgruber is actually not a bad watch there's a few quotes in mcgruber as well and, and a few mo- like choice moments that you'd remember but i guess that's where wayne's world pulls it off because it actually manages to de- develop a film around all these quotable moments, um, whereas MacGruber does not. It just sort of happens, and it's got some some good one-liners. So yeah, uh, Wayne's World was became kind of notorious for its uh, invention of new lingo and pop- repopularizing old lingo, and just being highly quotable. Um, the the hurling, the swinging, the various <laughs> other things. The tagline was "You'll laugh, you'll cry, you'll hurl." Hmm. Not a great invite, is it? <laughs> Sounds like, a, sounds like a great party. So this is 1992, back way back when. So these the people that they're depicting, they don't exist anymore, really. Uh, hmm. People that like music with guitars, <laughs> they, they're yeah. long gone. We couldn't even get away with swinging nowadays, could you? I mean, you could it's not. not, it's, not dumb, well, it's not the dumb thing. I mean, uh, yeah, there's a scene later on where Garth points his groin at uh, several females and... Um, that's not polite. He also tases a guy, but I think the groin pointing is much more offensive somehow. He's roundly rewarded for going to his car to get an implement uh, to tase some guy. Big, big celebration. Anyway, we're getting ahead of ourselves. 1992, Wayne's World uh, opens. Um, I mean, it's uh, it's about a, a couple of losers putting on a low-budget show 
for mostly their own amusement. Why do you think this would resonate with, with us? <laughs> so much. <laughs> I, I, I've been scraping to figure out what, what we enjoy so much about this. There are no parallels, so um, I'm at a loss. Aurora, Illinois. That's where it's uh, set. You've got Wayne kind of doing a little introduction to to that. A very Canadian accent for someone from Illinois, is it not? He doesn't hide it well. Um, he's not. I guess Mike Myers wasn't thinking. Well, I'm really going to pull off the Illinois state accent. Uh, I mean, the attempt. Do the attempt to be teenagers failed. So I, I guess the yeah. the <laughs> the authentic Aurora accent is maybe low on the the list of uh, offenses here. But yeah, you're straight into one of the most famous scenes from both films, that Bohemian Rhapsody oh, yeah. bit in the car, uh, enjoyed by everyone. I think Queen must yeah. have got a little bit of, I think they did uh, actually get a little bit of a boost from, from this. Well, apparently, um, they, or at least it, from from my scant research, it was, uh, it was actually enjoyed by Freddie Mercury. He, he approved um, close to his... Uh, well, that must have been close very to close to... Yeah, I was going to say, it's, uh, you, like, well, so says Brian May. I mean, we can only take him from, from his word. Yeah. But um, he said it was enjoyed. But uh, no, it's it's one of these things as well. Apparently, Mike Myers really um, got into uh, a back and forth with the, the director or the creators and, and really pushed for this song because they wanted like, more at-the-time music. I think it was maybe Guns N' Roses or something was mentioned or um, something like that. He says, no, it's not funny um, because it's not like operatic and many layers and there was a big argument about that's what makes it good funny and actually quite a good scene is because it's like bohemian rhapsody itself is an opera it's a, its own character and i think that's why it was quite it, of all the weirdly like you know put your foot down decisions that actually makes the most sense because that is a scene that's just that opens up the film you're like okay yeah headbagging the car which i'm sure a lot of people have done and maybe it has been at fault for some uh some highway collisions or something where people are recreating this scene but in the positive light, it's a, it's a very nice, funny, enjoyable scene. And uh, apparently they've got sore heads for four hours of filming this. <laughs> You'd imagine doing the head back. Which I'm not smacking my face with surprise now. Ed O'Neill is in this. Uh, <laughs> Al Bundy. He's got a very interesting character. I think he was in one of the sketches that I'd watched. Um, so he's obviously been oh, right. enjoyed by them previously. Very intense character he plays. There's, a, there's he, quite he does. a few cameos in this, isn't there? Yeah, he does own this. He owns the film, rightly so, for like the few seconds he's on the film. Because uh, it's one of these ones that you remember at the same time. It's uh, e- equally as quotable as the rest of the film. Maybe, uh, I mean, obviously there's a more quotable um, monologue later on in the second films. But uh, yeah, I can imagine a lot of people remember this one, the Ed O'Neill one, from uh, start to finish. You had uh, Meatloaf makes a little brief appearance here in the next scene. It was a it was a hard road to hoe to get to like these characters after they left the guy hanging. Especially <laughs> if it's Meatloaf, but... Because um, I always thought that was a weird one. I don't know if they just maybe that was the take they used, or because Meatloaf, or the character he's playing, has to sort of have it hanging, be nice about it, and then continue to sort of let people in the queue. That's acting. That would have bothered me. I'd have said, let's do another take. So the main love interest, uh, Tia Carrera, is playing Cassandra, and they are playing in, in the venue that they go into. And I, for years, thought they were called Crucial Todd. Um, it's crucial taunt apparently. Yeah, you are not the only one that was crucial Todd for years. And I thought, who is this Todd? And he must have left the band because it doesn't make any sense. Also, they do nothing but covers as well. So you know, is that the taunt? That... Or does Todd have a problem with it? Todd's involved. Todd might be. Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd assumed that Todd was the guitarist or something. He was. He was very crucial to the 
the band. You know, can I briefly, I know you're probably, you won't make this a music kind of talking about the film, whatever podcast, but from this most recent watching of this film, right, there's all these different details you watch through any film you've seen, you know, dozens and dozens of times. But for some reason, I don't know if it's this, the quality of the sound I was watching it on, or the TV, or just the way it was on the streaming service, but when she goes over to sort of talk to the manager of the club, it was just one of these things that I was just like, oh, you listen to what Wayne's saying and that. But I almost heard everything she said, so she was she was upset that he wasn't paying her enough, because that was the whole idea. She said, oh, the, the manager's trying to dick me out of some money, or whatever was her line. And so she'd go on over, and I could very clearly hear her going, you've seen how many people they've brought in here tonight. And and also she's like complaining about the rates she's getting and things like this as far as the pay. And, and uh, she's complaining about the guys that just fought in front of her, and that's why she should get paid more. And I was like, wow, that's a... Like unheard dialogue for years until this most recent listen, but it, it, it opened up the film uh, for me. Television then, because I yeah, I think I caught that first part. I didn't catch her complaining about the the fight. Yeah, it was, and you so like you see how I have to put up with, and also so go back. I mean, if people care to, you can you can hear a lot of what she says if you got a, like a decent set of speakers. Not that I'm I'm not boasting. It's just that it must have uh, it must have been the ones I was using. They must be high quality. Not long after this, we're getting into the real. Thrust of what the movie's about as uh, Rob Lowe, the, the big suit wearer, um, shows uh, Bill Murray's brother the Wayne's World show. And his idea is that um, he is to utilize that show to advertise his uh, arcade. Kurt Fuller in amongst there as well. Played very similar character in Running Man in Ghostbusters 2. He must have just thought, I don't have to change my haircut, the way I look, the way I dress, and the way I act, because I will get the part. Whatever these written part, or maybe just know knows a lot of people because he's in a lot of films and he's made no attempt to look any different. <laughs> he's got that kind of Jason Bateman quality of just being in a film and just having the same haircut. In fact, I think he's a bit better actually. I tell you what, out of everybody in the film, he his style, uh, I was interested in. I wanted those uh, those polo <laughs> shirts that um, that shell suit situation. The shell suit right? later yeah. on. Oh my my goodness. Uh, when he comes out with that flashlight later on, we're jumping ahead, but um, I, I did a wow. I stepped back a little bit. I, oh, you know, you get a little scared because when fashion comes at you, you're you're surprised. I think, yeah, his his is kind of, uh, he's maybe a bit more long-lasting, or certainly come back less so uh, Rob Lowe's uh, oversized suits. High That's trousers. very much uh, early 90s <laughs> action there. Um, that may come back. You never know. We hope not. The plastic hair and high trousers will come back. I can almost guarantee it. We, we were discussing off uh, off air the first film is just a, a fairly competent saturday night live sketch film isn't it so we're yeah <laughs> we're gonna mostly well. uh, yes yeah, it's, it's done quite well um everybody does their bit the the jokes hit um but uh yeah so we'll, we'll i mean we'll, we'll mostly zip through the the first film to get to the, hmm. the main event which is please world 2 of course um so Benjamin's in amongst. He uh, starts to befriend uh, Wayne and Garth. He definitely starts to try and be- befriend Cassandra, and he sends them off to Milwaukee, presumably to get Wayne out of the way. I think that's oh, yeah. uh, that's like... in your face there. Off to Milwaukee, see uh, Alice Cooper. That's where we get the "We're Not Worthy" famous. Oh, it's uh, pronounced Milwaukee, uh, as we talked about earlier. It's Algonquin for the good land. And right about this time is where we get a bit of Chris Farley action. Um, the detailed and uh, description of where Frankie Sharp from yeah. Sharp Records is headed. The guest ca- casting or guest star moments are superb in this film. Like his hand acting, <laughs> just explain how they go from Chicago back through on his way to Detroit. 
that is something that maybe nobody's as much of a loser as me but um, in describing any directions or even what's on a menu I might whip out a Chris Farley uh, hand movements for what's going through Chicago back to um, Aurora on his way to Detroit well he, he was another Saturday Night Live guy he was he was quite yeah. highly regarded he was supposed to be the next uh, John Belushi at some point he was going to be the voice of Shrek until he died God I mean, he was going to be the voice of Shrek, but then he died, and that was that's a tenuous link to this film, as uh, both he and Mike Myers uh, share a connection. So you, you wouldn't have had that awful, um, almost Scottish accent then in those films. It was a very straightforward. Just as if you, if you ever if you get a chance, go out and there was actually um, really basic animation plus his voice and Eddie Murphy's um, for Shrek. So go out and seek that. Out. It's very interesting. Not as funny. But it would have been interesting, I guess, if the, if the film came again. He very much just plays it like a very irritated Chris Farley, so maybe it's benefited from the weird half-Scottish voice that Mike Myers does. A bit more playful. Um, Wayne gets fired from his show uh, for hilarious oh. uh, cards there. <laughs> this is obviously, you know, you're entering Act 2 here. Fairly standard uh, formulaic uh, storytelling, but it's it's all... I mean, the sheen is the jokes and you know the comedy. We're not so fussed about uh, plot progression it could be as mm. bare bones and skeletal as uh, as you'd like through that encounter of knowing where frank sharp's going to be they come up with a, a little plan to get them broadcast in his limousine mm. an audience of one what about that it's a lot of effort yeah that was his version of what he could offer her that nobody else could is the we the weirdest premise because that's the only thing it could have possibly been and i guess that's why it's funny because She's off filming a video being provided to her by the Benjamin fellow, you know, basically trying to help her band make it. And uh, Wayne's big plan was to take a step back, take a big risk to maybe be on the television of some guy in a limo who might go Ugh, and change the channel. But you never know. I mean, love is love. There was a good bit of cart before the horse here, but I mean, he gets the band together or the, the gang together and they all agree they're going to help him, including the policeman who performs a cavity search on illegal Rob search sure. on, illegal, on Rob Lowe there uh, that's obviously made light of uh, as well um, then Frankie Sharp hears that and kind of waddles in and uh, is <laughs> in, in, well so he's so impressed by this cover of Ballroom Blitz that he causes a traffic <laughs> incident is that believable? also nobody mentioned the address <laughs> no one meant, yeah, you even see when it switches over to Wayne in the middle of the talking, it's missed the ha like first half of what he was saying. So there's a, a lot of uh, just, just, hey, he makes it there. He's got a lit cigar already and he's somehow come into the home. So I'm assuming Wayne's mother has had to let him in because he's not come down the usual stairs. He comes in from the right, which would assume that he'd come in from the stairs where the, the sucking cut guy left at the beginning of the film. So Frankie Sharp has gone to the door. That could have been the finale of the film. His mother going, "You excuse me, you do not have an appointment here." Yeah, or the police. So this is yeah, this is the thing. They do these multiple endings thing. That sounds like a funnier one than a couple of them. Um, that his mother <laughs> just refuses him entrance, and then that's that. He kind of walks around the other way, and everyone's standing about wondering what's going on. But the the first thing you see is um, where he <laughs> causes the traffic incident. Uh, comes up to the house and says. Um, what does he say? It's uh, it's it's not it's the time. Not, not quite time yet, or not quite right yet. You're just not quite right yet, and it's like what? That could have weird. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> then you get the Scooby Doo ending. This is this is another thing that they planted earlier on in a very yeah, obvious the old man's way. Having a, 
the, yeah. the guy who owns the amusement park. And then they go for the, the happy ending, which, um, I don't know, it seems a bit like a struggle, like they didn't know how to end the film, really. And how, yeah. how do you end? There is no end to the film. This yeah. is the only way <laughs> to do it, This is the best they could do. Yeah. Uh, and everyone's everyone's happy at the end. That is Wayne's World One, a huge success, made six times its budget. It's something like um, three hundred and forty million dollars in today's Oof. money is what it made. Wow! Uh, Who's the loser now? Eh? And it's I think it still remains. Well, I mean, if you see the list, it's not hugely surprising, but it still remains the most successful Saturday Night Live sketch based oh. uh, film of all of them. Apparently, you were referencing some of the trouble with Penelope Spheris, uh was hmm. the the director. And um, she directed some things previously about this kind of this kind of human being um, before, <laughs> and I don't, don't know if that was why she was brought on board for this film. But yeah, Mike Myers, uh, she claims at least allegedly that Mike Myers was the cause for her not to be the director on Wayne's World Two. Um, something about a bagel not being buttered properly or there wasn't enough margarine for his bagel and that's why she got fired um i might be conflating many things here but that's why that was my takeaway i like anyone else who listens to this will be googling immediately once they start hearing this (laughs) hadn't buttered the bagel wayne's world too (laughs) um huge success obviously there's going to be a sequel very very quick turnaround Mm. it comes out the next year Oh, wow. Um, and uh, Penelope was not on board. It was Stephen Surgic, who is famous for, I have absolutely no idea, um, 1993. Uh, this <laughs> is, uh, yeah, Hurling at You, December 10th. That's your tagline for this in the poster. I mean, I still like this film, but it feels like from the change of director and the tagline there, um, either the director asked or maybe the studio was wondering, what were you going to do for the segment? I mean... Someone was just casually with a with a shaking hand going, just uh, look at the first one, see what did that what what that did good with, and then they thought, oh yeah, okay, let's just repeat. Let's mostly do that. I mean, that's the trap you thought you could fall into with a sequel film like this for a spoof type mm-hmm. comedy is that you know people liked you know certain gags. I mean, they, they thank I guess they didn't, strike while the iron's yeah, hot. They didn't redo the Bohemian Rhapsody thing or anything to that level, no, but, no, but yeah, there was stupid. quite a few yeah. uh, repeat jokes here. Mm. Um, I would say one thing. I noticed Garth's more confident in this film, is he not? He seems less uh, <laughs> shy and retiring. And uh, yeah. Wayne's voice has gone down a few octaves. I don't know what Mike Myers was up to yeah. in between. <laughs> well, he wasn't Wayne's getting enough margarine, face. apparently. Maybe that's affected yeah. his voice. I, <laughs> I was going to say Wayne's World's success cigars, but um, yeah. Could be. Uh, um, not, enough margin, not enough margarine on the bagel seems about right. Another drive-related gag, first off. Another famous one, the drive through pretending not to come yeah. through right uh, gags. Mike Myers nailing it, nailing yeah. the missing audio. Dana Carvey, I don't know if he just was nervous on the day, I didn't know how to pull off the joke, but um, I guess it's similar to like when he's sort of miming he doesn't know the words of the Queen song, the, the joke is he's not very really good at the... Uh, you're broken. It's like uh, the Mike Myers one was just... Uh, I tried to replicate it for years, like a loser, but um, I couldn't quite get it down. It's one of these ones I just couldn't nail. Too keen to speak. They go and see Aerosmith. You're getting the repeat of the "We're Not Worthy" again here for you know. Oh, um, although if you notice, uh, eagle-eyed viewers will go back and notice that Dana Carvey. It might might have either been a long day's take or just age. He does not go on both knees. Yeah, he does a sort of <laughs> knee and a half knee. I mean, he's only a year old. Yeah, <laughs> like Mike Myers is fully committed, but Dana Carvey was like, "No, no, side knee." But um, yeah, Aerosmith not quite pulling off the um. The moment as well. Alice Cooper knocked it out of the park, but the uh, the really 
you know, say some lines, guys. Acting as Aerosmith was uh, was a bit too oily, much like their bodies. <laughs> um, Christopher Walken. Hmm? That's, wow. Uh, that's <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. What an interesting choice. Is that not an interesting <laughs> choice for this guy? Did they think <laughs> so? We, we go from doll Ken doll um, yeah. Rob Lowe to human snake <laughs> Christopher Walken. <laughs> he needs to be more serpenty. To like to lure away Cassandra. So yeah, again, it's the not believable. <laughs> Her reluctance later on is a bit like Jafar in the Aladdin <laughs> reaction. Is you had any chance to think about my offer? And she's got a fear in her voice, like holding her arms. Oh, oh, oh just yeah, I'm still thinking about it. I mean, well, let's we'll, we'll get we'll get there. But yeah, so this is the oh. this is the the we got some real gigs coming up. This, this the gigs. antagonist. So not yeah, not quite the the Rob Lowe. Um, Sheen, shirtless Sheen. Uh, this is Christopher Walken, a man in his fifties. Oh, who? <laughs> what a dancer there. We'll get uh, to that. Oh yeah, uh, we'll 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 get to that. Um, so he he's backstage at um this gig, isn't it? That, that's that's right, isn't it? They're they're at this gig as yeah. well. I'm not mi- mixing things up, am I? And then it's got a backstage area, but also in a, another exclusive caged area where Heather Lockley hand hangs out. And uh, Bob Odenkirk sets upon them. Yes. Not entirely I mean, sure who the other guy was, but yeah, I noticed Bob. He's oh, he's been in a few. He's like the dad or the kind of... Uh, I'll tell you who he is, right? So you've got Bob Odenkirk, who went on to be Saul Goodman. He's been uh, very famous for the uh, David Cross comedy show, him and uh, Bob and Dave, but also was the... Uh, obviously not important enough to remember. But the other guy, right? He was the house repossessor in Happy Gilmore. Oh, okay. There you go. Uh, that was... that's. Uh... That's an interest. Not quite the same. No, you're really going to hate me. But that's that's deep. That's uh, I'm, I'm. You're the kind of guy that notices those things. The, the little <laughs> details on the screen. I tell you, you're maybe not as sensitive as me. I mean, you're a hard, hard individual. I mean, you've just got a crust that's built up over years of just you know, you just don't take it. But um, for years, this always upset me. I was really, I felt really sorry for these two guys and the treatment by Bill and uh, Bill and Ted. <laughs> Be with some butthead. The treatment, because um, they're just two little innocent guys. They're like, oh, you enjoying the gig? And I always got a really upset feeling whenever they're on screen. And it was like, how, how long does it take you door to door? And I'd get a little teary eyed. There's uh, <laughs> something about it. I'm obviously such a soft touch. Oh, those poor guys. Yeah, is is, is, is yeah. this the uh, the leaving meatloaf hanging of this film then? Yeah. Yeah, so they just maybe maybe they they even copied it down to that like a little early on moment of I'm not too sure about these two guys like they're yeah they're not completely it's just they're slightly cooler than you know yeah they're, yeah the next level down how dare they here we go we're getting into the film now really into it Jim Morrison uh, visits uh, Wayne in a dream and tells him to put <laughs> sexier on smoother Jim Morrison sexier smoother um, Jim Morrison uh, good good. Bone structure there. Good cheekbones going. Wow. That fellow is also in... This is just where I really show off my unnecessarily uh, keen eye for noticing who's been in other films. Like the uh, the taxi driver from Home Alone 2 being in the background of the jail shot in Ghostbusters. Also, this fellow who played Jim Morrison is one of the... I don't know if you can call them henchmen, but one of the sexy henchmen for Isabella Rossellini in Death Becomes Her. Wow. It's, I'm, Look I'm, it I'm, up, seeing, I'm, I'm seeing... I think I'm seeing what you're... What you're talking about through cloudy memories. Um, I think I, I'm just gonna. I don't know if that for a fact, but I'm just gonna say you're right. Why not? 
We can cut the sight of it's wrong afterwards anyway. So It will not be wrong. Uh, if you book them, they will come. That's obviously your Field of Dreams reference. I mean, there's lots of... This is a spoof film, isn't it? This is this is naked gun type spoof action. They go point, a bit more it? after reality. There's a lot of... Because like the, the, it wasn't until the end of the first one you got the let's do the super mega happy ending or let's do the, the this and that slightly off reality. Or even the bit where he opens up that... One of the few jokes I didn't like was the opening up the door of the room of people fighting that didn't land. There wasn't too much outside of reality whereas this film the second one really goes Quite for a, let's go silly it's a bit like uh, Home Alone 2 that, if you actually watch that in comparison to the first one Home Alone 2 is a bit more surreal than the first one sequels um, Christopher Walken is uh, Cassandra's producer I believe um, and you see Walken uh, Walken the dog and that guitar eh? giving it some uh, giving it some action um, I don't think that it's actually... such a cheesy scene though that they, <laughs> we should really have him play because he really wails but the, the comparison between the finger shot and him yeah. pretending to play on the guitar that's really walking oh god um, so that's when they impart that they're going to put on Wayne Stock and basically look at different things around the room and decide they're going to be a part of Wayne Stock uh, including Rip Taylor which is <laughs> quite random so was he was he in the studio? It's a bit like the old man fashioning a canoe out of a log. Was see, he in there? Is that something talk, yeah, pretend to see? That's this is the surreal thing as well, isn't it? They talk about him in the abstract, like he's not there because she said, "Oh, I'm a massive fan yeah. of his." Why don't you just go? Well, just turn your head. <laughs> turn around. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it's uh, very surreal, and then they surreally um, take a miniature plane to uh, London, make a little bit <laughs> of a joke about that with the the, the body doubles. Um, and yep. then the the guy from With Neil and I, who is playing this pretty much similar character, uh, is going to help them put a concert on, and had the same dream apparently about who, Jim Morrison. Who, yeah, before they get to the fact, he says, "Oh, I guess Jim was wrong." All the descriptions of having a dream and putting on a concert weren't enough. Mentioning the name Jim really, yeah. really knocked it loose. <laughs> like the details are like exactly the same, but he's like, "Oh." Your one was with Jim Morrison. I guess we had the same dream. Yeah, he tells the story over and over again about getting the brown M&Ms for... Was it brown M&Ms for <laughs> Ozzy Osbourne? <laughs> yeah, to fill a brandy glass. Or Ozzy wouldn't go on stage that night. Uh, to beat them to death with their own shoes. So yeah, he tells that uh, a few times. Um, at this point, I think we're. it's obvious that Walken is trying to get rid of uh, the band and her boyfriend so that he can have her all to himself. Um, How ironic that Walken is trying to rush to get it done. Huh? There you go. So they're they're wanting to put Wayne Stock on. They're doing their uh, their recon for where they're going to hold the location. Another film reference, Jurassic Park. Um, that would, <laughs> that would have been fresh, a fresh reference as well. Yeah, that and and uh, Terminator Two, both real fresh on the agenda. Oh, that's so right. That's, Terminator uh, Two was from the first one, wasn't it? You had uh, Robert Patrick. Yeah, because that's what I'm saying. Appearance. Like the turnaround on two two films that had just come out. Like around both films is that's quite impressive. I don't know. If that's just like a weird tell you strike what, by just the hand. It's hot. Re- rewind at the first film. So Robert Patrick's obviously gotten in the police gear and everything, but didn't bother to like keep the haircut. Just had this regular hair. <laughs> Found that I think, yeah, I think he must have just thought, ah, nobody's gonna watch this. I'm not gonna cut my hair back. Did they? Did they go the effort of having um, Edward Furlong actually take a pic- a Polaroid picture as well? It was no, that. I think, it's, I think it's, it's eagle-eyed viewers will. will freeze frame it's just some boy with a sort of um, bangs haircut or whatever it was back in the, back in the early 90s because that would have been an extra impressive piece of detail yeah, that there. would have been details beyond the, hair, the same haircut anyway uh, they're putting it all together they go see Kevin Pollock in the um, patent office and what, what a fantastic scene that is 
Glorious. And it's what, what's weird about the scene is that even the, the, the eye joke doesn't make me laugh that much anymore. It's 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 more I don't know why he decided this. I don't know if it's an actor's choice, but it's his description of what they have to do when they return all the forms. So all forms must be filled out in triplicate and returned in was it like four working days with the money. If you didn't have Christopher Walken, you've got a bit of a, a film stealer almost there with that oh, yeah, Pollock yeah, performance. So I think, I don't know, that's right before or around about the same time that um, Wayne meets Mr. Wong, Cassandra's father. And then, I don't know, is this is this scene, I mean, this is 1993, is this scene okay now? Is it still? I mean, it it was, it, uh, it's it wasn't cool. great. It's, it wasn't great yeah. then, if I'm remembering correctly. Oh, God, I don't know, it's just... Uh... I yeah, think the, the word the, gratuitous, um, de- yeah. discre- it's just stuck in the middle there, isn't it? There's no... Yeah. Uh, There's, I, someone thought it would be a good idea. Someone thought it's a, it's a joke that, that would work back in the 90s. But I think if it had just been the um, I think we should be dubbed joke, it would have been funny because the, the joke being once Mr. Wong talks in dub, he's got an amazingly smooth, croaky uh, English-speaking voice. And that's like, ah, oh, yeah, okay, okay, funny dubbed. Um, but yeah, it just gets an absurd. I mean, I don't know. It's less said the better, because then we just get bogged down in what was offensive about it. But you can't not talk about it because it is. Uh... It wasn't one I found funny. The funniest bit I thought in it was actually the the, the changeover, the, the voice changeover. That was it. That was the only time I laughed and thought, oh, that's funny. But the the sword moment, ripping the jeans and the 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 fighting styles and. Actually, I did laugh when un undubbed, but the uh, um, the, the chat that played Mr. Wong when he's like describing what he's going to do with his nuts, he's like, "I'm going to grab your nuts or something," but just said that and he stamps on it. That's a lovely little scene, but that's not dubbed. That's just the original audio. So I don't know, they just weirdly liked it at the time and thought, "Well, no, we're dubbing that." You obviously have to raise some funds for this. So there's like a little fundraising fund fundraising scene uh, where uh, Wayne gets choked up, and this is where we see the yeah. the shoulder dancing um, from. Oh yeah. Uh, from Christopher Walken. How about that action? His running and sh- his shoulder dancing dance style, that kind of give me a call hand shape. Bit of pointing action. He seems to be a, yeah, he, that <laughs> seems to be a favourite. I don't know if that's just to do with joints or maybe he is in his 50s. So maybe he's in his 50s. But his, uh, his finger point to Wayne as he's grinding up and down on, on his lady. Um, yeah, that was an odd scene. Um, <laughs> well, you mentioned the, the running. That's coming up because obviously... Wayne's very paranoid about uh, how close Cassandra is getting to uh, Bobby, uh, Christopher Walken's character, and this leads to the Mission Impossible village people gag reference stuff. Um, but they're they're basically spying on them, uh, Cassandra and Bobby, having a little lunch there, a little lunch get together. Uh, they get spotted, mm. and <laughs> Christopher Walken runs after them and. <laughs> Describe that yeah, run to after me. four men. Yeah. I mean, the hero of the film changes at that moment. This man <laughs> is willing to defend someone who's been basically being spied on by running after four men into an alley. Um, so, I mean, not all bad. I mean, Bobby, for all his, you know, try to usurp, usurp some love from, from another man's... Uh, but he's he's quite a brave fellow, isn't he? I mean, we, we see it as some sort of, like, oh, no, he's, they're, they're chasing these good guys, but what would have happened if he caught to them? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> he, they outnumbered him. As, as as weird and wimpy as they seem, they, they are the, the numbers were in their favour. He's a hero. They were wearing there was a construction worker, policeman, um, leather guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and where did they end uh, up? Where they end up at the toolbox and do the YMCA workman's club. Um, it's a working man's club, yeah, and uh, end up doing the that's the your YMCA gag. And then there's 
I mean, while all this is going on, there's kind of a side story with uh, Garth and uh, Kim Be- Is it Bassinger or is it Basing- Basinger? I've never noticed. It's like the, the Katie Seagal Seagull. Yeah. I think it's, I feel I think like... it's Basinger, isn't it? I don't feel confident about either. Yeah. And I don't think German I've heard her like... pronounce it. So, yeah, she's getting together with Garth so that he can oh. uh, kill her husband. And um, she is excellent in that role. Um it's but it's it's like a of... weird a weird turn of like 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 we're saying like there's a kind of some like slightly half-fast performances from from guests in previous films of maybe or, or this one that just yeah, they haven't, they haven't really put in the full effort but she was like no nah, I'm gonna I'm gonna give it my all let's, let's, so, let's yeah, do this there's effort there's effort going on here yeah um, but like, yeah and, and her convincingly I I'm gonna choose this tiny knickers drying his clothes guy as the as the mark. And that, yeah, nothing really comes of it, does it? No, just, it's, it's just the, there to get Garth to do something, basically. Yeah, to straighten his hair for one scene. Handsome Dan, that's our, that's the next bit oh, I've got wow. here. That, <laughs> so you've got Harry. He, he, so must, they, he must have been so studly and buff. They're they're going to promote Wayne Stock, this as as things stand, non-existent hmm. um, festival, and they have to get on the radio and uh, talk to Handsome Dan, who they'd previously uh, mentioned. That he, yeah, he must be very buff. Uh, that turns out to be Harry Shearer, who, yeah, that's the... Mm-hmm. They melted just for this scene. <laughs> <laughs> so despite all this promotion, it's look it's looking like that people are not Uh-oh. interested and actually are starting to think that Wayne is somewhat delusional uh, and imagining mm-hmm. all this when he talks about uh, seeing, uh, having a dream with... We call him the half-naked Indian. Or do they call him the, na- the weird naked Indian? The weird naked... Yes, uh, that's you misremembering the, the quotes and description. They well, I mean, I'm just... The half-naked yeah, the half, the half Native American is too much of a mouthful, I think. Um, so mm. they've gone with what they've gone for, 1993. Um, they, so, yeah, <laughs> no, one, no one believes him, effectively. Cassandra is in Los Angeles with um, Christopher Walken, making making big success. Oh, yeah. Um, Jalen. On the Tonight Show, uh, this is where the bit you were mentioning. Um, did you give any thought to to what I'd said, and just did not like <laughs> on board with it whatsoever? Whatever not was proposed there, in the slide, <laughs> his serpent eyes looking deep in her soul. But it was a it was a terrifying scene. Even back in the nineties, I thought he's a bit strange and very forward. forward person. Also, what what has he done to sort of make her you know coo and awe at his got a gig in the tonight show i guess is that that's not we're not there yet are we? i've given you what you want I mean, now you must marry sister, me <laughs> yeah didn't you see jay leno take the ring so wayne stock's on apparently but the only person that turns up is uh rip taylor um who had oh. also the dream uh with with jim morrison yes. apparently um and talks a little so bit about jim, that. jim giving enough help for three sort of elements of this a guy to plan it rip taylor but that isn't enough to make it believable to anyone else so that's where it gets confusing he was not familiar with his work either that was uh... yeah <laughs> a crooner in the rock milieu but then they, they, they've i mean we've kind of skipped over all the preparation that um the guy from with neil and i helped them mm-hmm. with and all the, the various jokes there but they they have the whole the stage set up they've got the venue people start showing up uh, but there are no acts um, and it turns out that Cassandra's has uh, had an answer for what um, Christopher Walken had asked her, and that was apparently marriage. So was that take? Does he drive from Illinois to California? Is that what we're to believe here? 
That's impossible. Maybe that's why he ran out of petrol. <laughs> that's why he ran out of pre- petrol. So, he, yeah, Wayne finds out about this. He drives to California. I Maybe. That's not entirely clear to me. Um, and along the way, you've got the... It turns out it's the, the Presbyterian, first Presbyterian church on Gordon Street, which is then... Gordon get... Street? <laughs> I once knew a girl who lived on Gordon Street. But that was a long time ago, when I was a young man. Not a day passes when I don't think of her. The promise that I made that I will always keep that one perfect day on Gordon Street. That's uh, five blocks up, two over. <laughs> That's, of course, uh, quoted Charlton Heston, who uh, is brought in as the, the better actor to be the... the but, saying the that, the guy that does the terrible acting actually is amazing at being terrible. Yeah. So give him his credit. Whether it's a joke in the film, but that guy nails the... Oh, Gordon Street, and he he should be legendary as well because that was uh, that was pulled off. That no, that that would have been flat if it hadn't been so bad. Um, so anyway. yeah, Gordon Street, <laughs> um, graduate references. Oh yeah, uh, in, in big style. Uh, he interrupts the wedding, and then there's a bit of a tussle <laughs> with uh, Christopher Christopher Walken and uh, the the various you guests. Punk. <laughs> you punk, crazy punk. <laughs> So he manages to get away with uh, he somehow got a guitar, um, wedges the door, and then they. This is where they do the the false ending thing again. They kind of come back to the, the first film, um, where it turns out no one turns up, and then they're stranded in the imaginary desert. But then they decide that they're not going to do that. They're going to do the Thelma and hmm. Louise ending, which bit of a spoiler if Spoils. you haven't seen that film. <laughs> so yeah. watch Thelma and Louise first before you see Wayne's World Two. Is my my advice to you and then it, all the bands by the way i've never seen thelma louise all the way through um, either have i I've ne- I've, I've, i don't yeah. i mean it's been referenced so much that i don't i know what the ending is so i mean at the yeah, time when it you came almost out don't need to see it that, that ending would have been quite uh, affecting i would imagine but if you've hmm. if you've seen it parodied so many times then you're less uh, inclined but the the real ending is that all the bands apparently start turning up i only see evidence that aerosmith turns up yeah, who's who's the rest that come out of the car? Because I've always wanted to find out. I've just never bothered to Google it, but there's obviously a string of people who come out there. Must people be like, I'm not familiar with. They're not Pearl Jam, <laughs> as reference. I thought it was for years. And did he mention Nirvana or who? Who else does he mention? This no, going it's to be Pearl like... Jam, Aerosmith, Van Halen. <laughs> Van Halen. Yeah, there's no Van Halen in sight here. I don't. Know well, what... do you think the old man fashioning the canoe out of a log? Do you think he came? Or... Yeah. <laughs> Possibly, if he had the dream uh, with Jim Morrison. I mean, he, he didn't he, make a cut. He visited Rip Taylor randomly, so why not the old man in the canoe? Uh, <laughs> what iteration of Van Halen that would have been at this point, I don't know, actually. Sammy Hagar action. They must have been, if they were still going about 1993. I should have looked that up beforehand. But anyway, I, I didn't see them to confirm <laughs> which version of Van Halen we were talking about here. Aerosmith, like, th- this so- this film actually They're made me into. like Aerosmith because the two songs that are in this are fantastic, but obviously it wasn't until years later that Love in an Elevator and that Armageddon song, I realised they are a terrible band, but they've got they've got the potential. They're, so, a bit like, um, they're a bit like Slade. If you, if you just knew them for the Christmas songs, you'd be like, ugh. They were still coasting off that resurgence from the Run DMC thing, weren't they? So I think they'd, oh. they'd, they'd had a bit of a comeback. Yeah, this was before the mid to late 90s stuff which um, mm. not my cup of tea I'm sure there are people out no. there who liked it and that's it that's two Wayne's World films two Saturday Night Live they got, <laughs> they got a lot of mileage out of this this one was not as successful apparently um, can you believe it? I can and I will <laughs> 
you choose to believe it. I mean, you get some uh, action this this uh, year, like ninety three, ninety four. Oh of, yeah, a lot of other things going on. Um, they yeah. So I think it was just a li- from sort of the figures that I'm reading here right now in front of me. Uh, whereas the the other one made it was like one hundred and eighty odd million. This was forty eight million. So that's a huge drop. <laughs> Massive well, drop. It's only a year later as well. Is the is the bloom off the rose so early on as well? I guess it must have. already. It must have been. Them. People thought they were seeing the. Other people maybe thought I'm not watching the first film again. Oh, it's a sequel. So the yeah the the millions of people that went to see the first one thought I'm not. I guess um, whoever on. saw this must have told two friends and then they told two friends <laughs> and they told two friends and so on and so on and so on. You know how it goes. Um, should we do the? We'll clean it up. We'll do the false see? endings, perhaps. So we're gonna do we're gonna do one ending where uh, I do a very poor outro, um, and that's probably the only ending we're gonna do, isn't it? <laughs> that's the only ending we can do. That's some, the only ending we've uh, ever done. So with that, with that imbue, that reinvigorated uh, feel for the films, are you ready to say party on? Or is that never gonna happen? Hey, I tell you what, you've uh, you've earned my trust. Well, and if, respect. You, if you didn't want to do the turn of, I'm gonna give this one to you, kid. <laughs> Why don't we just do party on Wayne, party on Garth? Is that over egg in the pudding now? We're just being complete surreal characters oh. at this point. What a pair of losers! <laughs> oh my god, I don't want to do it anymore. Let's just <laughs> well, say party on Neil. <laughs> no, no. See how's it no, feel? It's hard, wasn't it? it? <laughs> The horrible weight. You wonder why I didn't do it. The hot neck you get from wondering if the other person's going to finish it off. And also, as the other person, you're like, should I? Okay. Well, it's been a party time. It's been excellent. It's been excellent. This has been Wayne's World. We are going to hurl ourselves off this podcast um, as, as soon as possible. Until next time, listeners. Excellent. Etc. Etc. Yeah, we definitely did the <laughs> intro, uh, intro for this podcast. The intro, intro. Oh, he continues. To-